0: Welcome to Strength for the Journey from First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu, Eko'olau. Today, we begin a brand new sermon series called Grit and Grace. It focuses on the incredible women of the Bible. To kick off this series, here's First Pres Associate Pastor Tim Shaw and the sermon, This Is Your Time.
1: Well, good morning. My name is Tim Shaw, one of the pastors here, and we are beginning a brand new sermon series that I am super fired up about, about a women in the Bible. It's called Grit and Grace, and we are looking forward to exploring uh, some really remarkable people uh, in the scriptures in the coming weeks and months. Before we jump into God's word, let's pray together and ask that he would be our teacher. God, thank you for the gift of your word to us. We're thankful that you did not leave us without guidance, that you gave us the gift of your written word, and you've also given us your spirit. So we pray that you would be our teacher today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I'm going to put you to work right away. I'm going to have you have a little chat with somebody sitting next door to you. Um, and here's my question, real simple. How would you define leadership? What does it look like to lead in our workplace, in our homes, in our schools, in government? What I want you to do is to turn to someone next to you and share your initial thoughts about that question. What does it look like to lead? Ready, go. Okay, it sounds like you've got a few thoughts about that already. That's that's great. Let me tell you a little bit about what I think uh, leadership is. First, I think at its core, leadership is influence. So now before some of you decide that this talk is not going to be for you today because you're not a leader, I want to pull you back into the discussion here. All of us are people who have influence somewhere in our lives. All of us are people who have spheres of influence. Maybe it's with your colleagues at work or with your grandchildren or in the classroom with your students or in the legislature or with your fellow cast members in the play uh, that you're in. All of us have influence. We influence others whether we realize it or not with our proactive, positive actions. We influence others by what we do and by what we say. We also influence others when we decide to do or not to say something. Our silence and inaction can be influential. So if all of that is true, that all of us have influence, that means all of us are leading somewhere in our lives because we all have a sphere of influence. It's true that some of us may have a spiritual gift of leadership, but that does not mean that the rest of us are disqualified from being leaders or leading. So the question becomes, what kind of influence do you want to have in your world? Do we want to have a positive impact in the world around us, or will the influence we have be negative and negatively impact our world and the people in it? If you said yes to Jesus Christ, I'm assuming that all of you have yet to do that, but if you have said yes to Jesus Christ, and you're one of his followers, you've signed up to lead. He's called you to a place of influence in the world for the sake of his kingdom. Your life, your leadership, in whatever spheres you live and work, can influence those who live and work in those spaces. And your influence, your leadership, will either bring greater health and wholeness to those people and those spaces, or you will bring negativity, discouragement, fear, pain, hurt, and a whole host of other destructive experiences to those people and spaces. So leadership is influence. And influence is built on trust. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus took some fishermen fishing. These guys had loaned Jesus their boat so that he would be able to take advantage of the natural acoustics of the cove they were in and speak to the crowd. Uh, That day, those fishermen uh, were exhausted from an unsuccessful night of fishing. So after Jesus wraps up his talk, Jesus invites them to go fishing. Reluctantly, they went fishing with the rabbi and to their shock and embarrassment they hauled in a spectacular catch and then jesus said to these guys follow me and i'm going to teach you how to fish for people that day those men began to discover that jesus just might be worth trusting that day they began to learn what leadership was all about and what they began to discover is that the best leaders in the world are also the best followers And when we're willing to follow Jesus, we learn to lead. To become a distinctively Christian leader, one must become a committed, dedicated follower of Jesus. Our capacity to influence others, our leadership capacity, is built on the trust that we build. And trust can only grow in the soil of good communication. It matters what we say and what we do. Our words and our actions, our encouragement and our investments that we make in others all contribute to either building trust or tearing it down. So our leadership capacity, our ability to be people who have a positive impact in our world is a function of the trust we create. And trust has everything to do with the way that we communicate and interact with each other. Let's imagine a skyscraper, that it represents our capacity to lead, our capacity for influence. The height of that building is a function of the foundation on which it is built. There are a lot of skyscrapers going up in Kakako. I don't know whether you notice that or not. If you've ever watched a construction company erect a skyscraper, you'll know that you can drive by that construction site for months and nothing seems to be happening, right? But they're actually doing something very important. They're digging down to lay a solid foundation on which they will construct that building. They dig deep so they can build high. Like building a skyscraper, if we want to expand our capacity to have a positive influence in our world, We must build a foundation of trust, and that trust is built by the way that we interact with each other. And if we want our leadership, our influence to be distinctively Christian, then the construction company that oversees this project is character. And I'm not just talking about any sort of characteristics. I'm talking about the character of Jesus shaping and informing and building our own character. So the character of Christ in us is what ultimately determines our capacity to be a distinctively Christian leader. Are you with me so far? All right. I want to watch this amazing time-lapse video of the construction of the Freedom Tower in New York City. And as we do, I want you to think about these four critical components of being a person of influence in our world. That leadership is influence, your capacity for leadership Uh, is a function of the trust that is built, and that trust only grows in the context of good communication and investments that we make in others. And the construction company is the character of Christ growing in us. That's what's ultimately going to determine whether we're going to be a distinctively Christian leader. To go up, to go high, to expand your capacity to be a leader, you got to go deep and build a deep foundation of trust. And the construction company matters, the way that building is built, and the construction company being your character, and that character being shaped by Jesus Christ. Uh, That's what it means to be a distinctively Christian leader. There have been lots of people uh, who have helped me and are helping me to grow as a leader. Some of those people are half my age and younger, others are my peers and many are older. Uh, some of those people have helped me to learn how to, who have helped me to learn who have helped me learn how to be a, a person of influence in the world are men, and many of them are women. I am so thankful for the women he has brought into my life that have helped me shape, who are shaping me into the leader that I am today i 'm also grateful for those women who are speaking into my life through the example of the way that they lead and their counsel and encouragement. They are shaping me into a better leader i 'm super excited about this sermon series that we're launching this morning. We are going to learn a lot from the women of the Bible that we're going to meet in the coming weeks. Here are just two of the women that have taught me a lot about leading. First, this is my mom. Here she is face to face with one of her great granddaughters. Uh, This remarkable woman has taught me a great deal about courage. She's helped me grow in my capacity for grace and compassion. And she did that by showing me a lot of grace and mercy. And I gave her a lot of reasons to have to do that. She gave me the permission to be a person who feels deeply and cares for others sacrificially. She was one of the first people in my life who began to show me what it looks like to be a distinctively Christian leader. I also want to introduce you to another remarkable hero of mine, to Lynn Lucy, the co founder of an organization in Eastern Congo called Heal Africa. I've been to the DRC eight times in the last 12 years, and those experiences have changed who I am. I count it one of the greatest privileges of my life to call Lynn Lucy my friend. Along with her Congolese husband, Joe, this remarkable woman from Britain created a holistic ministry of mercy and healing in one of the most dangerous and violent places in the world. The United Nations has described the Congo as the rape capital of the world. It's tragic. In the midst of a scramble for high-tech minerals that are in our phones and computers, rape has been used as a weapon of terror. And sexual violence is used to terrorize whole communities as these armed groups try to seize control of these resources. Some have estimated that 1,000 women are violently assaulted daily in in Eastern Congo. And Lynn Lucy and her husband Joe responded to this catastrophe by creating a hospital that offers comprehensive care to women who have been violently assaulted. Here's a map of the Democratic Republic of Congo, a country the size of Western Europe and a population of about 70 million. In 2011, Congo was rated last in the world in terms of life expectancy, education, standard of living, and key health indicators, such as maternal and child mortality. Here's where Heal Africa is. It's located in the city of Goma, which is on the shore of, of a lake called Lake Kivu, and on the border of Rwanda. Lynn Lucy confronted her fears and brought hope to thousands of men, women, and children. By the time of her untimely death from cancer in 2012, Lynn had established 31 safe houses and a comprehensive range of development projects. She recruited an army of mamas to comfort the women uh, who were violently assaulted and set set out to teach them how to read and to write and to use a sewing machine and so much more. And with the help of the American Bar Association and local lawyers, she established a network of legal clinics in an effort to apprehend rape suspects and to encourage a culture of zero tolerance of sexual violence, more than forty to fifty thousand women have been helped by Heal Africa's primary care and counseling services, and ninety thousand community activists have been trained in HIV/AIDS prevention and care. Lynn stepped forward and led, and I will be forever grateful that our paths crossed she is one of the many women who have taught me how to lead leadership is about influence influence is built on trust and trust only grows in the context of good communication and the investments that we make in others and distinctively christian leadership is only possible if we are willing to follow jesus christ and be shaped by his heart and his character So over the next few months, we're going to meet some remarkable women in the Bible, and many of them are going to show us how to lead. This week, let's meet Esther. I want to encourage you to read the whole book of Esther. You can do that this afternoon. It's only uh, 10 chapters long, and chapter 10 only has three verses, which is kind of a freebie. It's in the Old Testament, just before the book of Job. Uh, And Today, we're only going to look at one chapter of that book. So here's the context for this week's reading from Esther chapter 4. And As I give you the context, I also want to introduce you to the main characters of the story. Here's the context. A a portion of the Jewish community did not return to Israel after the Babylonian captivity, but remained in what became the Persian Empire. The story in the book of Esther unfolds in Susa, the capital city of Persia. That's modern-day Iran. An evil character by the name of Haman had been elevated by the king of Persia to the second most powerful position in the kingdom. The king of Persia was a man by the name of Xerxes. The king made a decree that everyone had to bow down to Haman whenever Haman showed up. Haman liked that a lot. And so he arrogantly insisted that everyone would bow before him whenever he walked by or strode by on his horse. A Jewish man living in Persia by the name of Mordecai refused to bow down to this jerk. Sorry, small commentary here. Uh, Every time Haman showed up, Mordecai stood up, surrounded by other people whose faces were now on the ground. So this really infuriated Haman. So Haman convinced the king, who I don't think was the brightest bulb in the box, Seems to be easily manipulated. Haman manipulated the king to make a decree that all the Jews living in Persia were to be annihilated. Now this is where Queen Esther comes into the story. Esther was an orphan, actually Mordecai's niece. He adopted her and raised her as his own daughter. And as we read in this chapter, it's going to become obvious that Mordecai raised Esther to live a courageous life of influence. The book of Esther is a complicated, wild story from start to finish. And there's one more thing that you need to know. Esther had hidden the fact that she was also a Jew from the king when he picked her to be queen. So here in chapter 4, Mordecai has heard the news of the king's genocidal decree and is mourning in sackcloth and ashes. He and Esther are going to have a chat about what she needs to do to be the person of influence that God is calling her to be. They're going to have that chat through one of Esther's assistants, a man by the name of Hathak. Okay, that's the context and the cast. Now, let's pick up the story in Esther chapter 4, verse 1. When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city, wailing loudly and bitterly. But he went only as far as the king's gate because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. The king apparently had some sort of dress code for the palace. <laughs> sackcloth was not on the list. Um, you know, you wouldn't want the king to actually deal with the suffering of his people, he wouldn't have to want him to see that. He apparently preferred to live in a palace of blissful ignorance. Verse 3. In every province to which the edict had and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's eunuchs and female attendants came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She sent clothes for him to put on instead of his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. That's a very interesting response on her part. Now, she does that for a very good reason. She wants to talk to him, but he can't get in the palace if he's dressed like that. So that's why he sends, she sends those clothes. Uh, But Mordecai refuses, uh, so she's going to have to take a different approach. I want you to notice that what you're seeing here is the calling forth of a leader. We're going to see Esther influence her world. And the reason that she's able to do that is because she's built trust with people in her lives, including the king. And that trust is grounded in the way that she interacted with others. We're also watching God develop his very own character in her life. Verse 5. Then Esther summoned Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, assigned to attend her, and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. I love her level-headedness. She starts asking all the right questions. Her first thought was, he needs to change his clothes to get in here. That didn't work, so she goes to plan B. Sometimes second thoughts are better than first thoughts. Plan B's sometimes are better than plan A's. One of the characteristics of a great leader is that they are a person who can reconsider their initial response, think more deeply about the situation, and come to a better decision. Verse 6. So Hathach went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. You know, sometimes you've got great financial resources, you can either use it for good or use it to manipulate situations that you want to get out of. Haman was ticked off because Mordecai would not bow down to him, so he thinks he can buy his way out of this situation uh, that he finds so intolerable. Verse 8. Mordecai gave Hathach a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa, to show to Esther and explain it to her. And he told him to instruct her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. Hathak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed Hathach to say to Mordecai, All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. She's concerned that maybe she has lost favor with Xerxes since he has not called for her in a month. She wonders whether she is the right person for the job. Verse 12. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your family, father's family will perish. And now here comes this very famous sentence. Mordecai says, and who knows, but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. Mordecai had raised Esther to live a courageous life, and his expectation was that she would also be a person who would take a stand for what is right. Verse 15, then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Esther knows that she's going to need God's help. She's going to face the fears, the legitimate fears that she has, and to stand up for her people. So she seeks the Lord. She fasts and directs Mordecai and others to do the same. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. One of the fascinating things about this book, the book of Esther, is that God is never expressly mentioned in the whole book. But God is involved and behind the scenes through it all. The king of Persia chose to live in a fortress of blissful ignorance. Our God does not isolate himself in a fortress of blissful ignorance. Our God God does not live in a protective bubble. He does not separate himself from the pain and suffering and the injustice and brokenness in our world. He shows up in the middle of it. He shows up in Goma. He shows up in the lives of people struggling with drug and alcohol addiction. He shows up in marriages that are filled with conflict. He shows up in our offices, the halls of government, backstage at the theater, in our classrooms and break rooms and boardrooms. He shows up, and guess what? Just like the expectation that Mordecai had for Esther, God expects us to show up as well and be people of influence in our world. He wants us to show up as representatives of his kingdom. Sunday after Sunday we gather here to seek God's presence. To seek him together. So that you and I can show up in our world as people who bring the presence of God into our workplaces, classrooms, military bases, families, and communities. Queen Esther showed up. Here's a spoiler alert. Haman uh, in the end gets what He'd hope would happen to the Jews. Probably shouldn't read it like that. I'd encourage you to read the whole incredible story of Esther for yourself. The Book of Esther is a wild story about a woman who discovered her sphere of influence, and with God's help, she saved the lives of thousands of people. It's a crazy story. And all the people in the story have flaws. But that does not prevent God from using them to accomplish his good in the world. And Esther joins the ranks of incredible women down through history and across the world whose leadership made the difference that was needed. So, where is God calling you to lead? How will you live out God's call to be a person of influence in your workplace, your school, your family, your community today, this week? Could it be that this is your time? Let's pray together. But God, we do ask that you would give us wisdom as we seek to be people of influence, people who are people of influence for the kingdom of God in our world. Give us wisdom, and we pray that you also give us courage to be able to stand up and live out and proclaim the good news of the gospel, the hope of the gospel, the love that you have for the world. So God, help us to recognize those places of influence And help us to show up as ambassadors of your grace and love and of your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to pray for you. Uh, It may have been situations you've been thinking about today. Where God is calling you to lead, to be a person of influence. So God, I pray that you would uh, fill your people with your spirit. You would give them courage and grace and love and mercy. We pray that you would guide them, that they might show up and be agents of hope and grace and love in their world. And now to God who is able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before his presence with exceedingly great joy, to the only God our Savior be glory and honor both now and forevermore. And God's people said.
0: Amen. The story of Esther is a classic. It never gets old. She's an inspiration for us all. There is a reason why you are where you are at this time of your life. If you'd like to hear this sermon again, you can listen to and download this and other sermons from the First Pres website, fpchawaii.org. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Join us at one of our worship services on campus at forty-five five-five-zero 550 Kiona Ole Road, Kaneohe, Hawaii, 96744. We meet Sunday mornings at 8, 930, and 1111. Follow First Prez on Twitter and Facebook. Download the new First Prez app. Watch First Prez sermon videos on our website and on Facebook. If you need more, call us at 808-532-1111. For Pastor Dan Chun and the entire staff at First Prez, I'm Michael Shishido. Until next time, God bless you and thank you for listening. Strength for the Journey is copyright 2019 and produced by the Media Ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu at Ko'olau.